Well, it's awesome to see everybody just having a great time, and um, so delighted everybody's here today. And um, we, uh, I hope you're having a great, great summer. Uh, you know, summer is just a kind of a different schedule. You know, when for those who have kids now living in your house, um, you know, you get you get a lot of kids in your home, and then their schedule changes. It affects what you do as well. Uh, some good, some bad. I know by the end of the summer, we're going to be like, come on, school, let's go get here. And all the teachers are like, no, I'm melting. I'm not saying you're witches or anything, but you get, you get the point. Um, so, but when you have six kids in your house and, and they all are now in your house every day, uh, there's definitely uh, a little bit of a change. And so, but I hope you're having a great summer. I know that summer is also a time where a lot of people go on vacations and mission trips and summer camps uh, next week. Our, our kids will be going to kids' camp, and our, our first two fifth graders, and our students, um, middle school and high school students, will be going to New York City uh, and, and Long Island to do uh, a sports camp there. And if you have not purchased stock in them uh, to help send a kid, I, I mean, this is really a really great, great fundraiser. It's right here outside, um, and, and even though you purchase the stock now, you can have them do the work even after the trip or through the summer. Or I've even heard of people say kind of wait till the fall when the leaves are, you know, coming around. But, but here's the great thing about Take Stock Fundraiser is that it, it helps everybody. Obviously, when you buy stock for $20, you get two hours of work. So you're helping out the student. The student works for it. Okay, we all like that. Okay, you're going you're to earn it. Okay, so they work for it. And then another thing is that you get something in return. So you need some help around the house. I know, I know uh, Landon uh, has, uh, ha- has been helping uh, uh, with some people's houses, chopping wood and, and doing some weed eating and all that kind of stuff. And so you kind of work for it, and you get something in return. And the, another great thing about Take Stock is that you get to know some of our, um, some of our students and, so, and some of the uh, students' parents. And so it's a great, great opportunity for you uh, to support someone and to you to gain something in return and build relationships within our church. So they're leaving next Monday, a week from tomorrow at 5 a.m. Next Sunday, we're going to have a time of prayer over our kids and our students before they head off to these two trips. And so we invite you to pray with us as well. But if you want to purchase some stock in our students, $20, um, uh, a stock certificate, please do that. You can buy several if you want, and it'd be awesome. Well, we are uh, in week three of a sermon series called Do I Matter? You know, there's a lot of people who kind of go through this life like, oh, what's the point? Why are we here, you know? And in fact, they, they don't understand their purpose. They don't understand their point. They don't understand why they matter or who they matter to who. And so they just sort of live life on their own, just kind of in, a, in that little silver steel ball in a, pin, in a uh, pinball machine going around, bouncing around with no purpose in life. And then they end up in destruction either of themselves or others, how they treat others. And uh, so in this series that we're going through the book of Ephesians, we're in chapter 3 today. And we're going to be answering that question, do I matter? Our first week, we talked about the reason why we matter is we matter to God. How do we know we matter to God? Well, because he sent his son Jesus to die for us. So like if you had a child, and that child for 
goodness sake, ho- hopefully you're never in this situation. If that child was, was ever uh, in, in, you know, in water and couldn't swim and I was around and I went to, to save your child, either in a pool or river or lake, and pull them out and, and everything was fine, you think that that child would matter to me. Well, that's what God did. God sent his son to die for us and we matter to him. Jesus has forgiveness for us. God, God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us and to give us purpose and to give us life, new life in Christ. And not only that, but to get an inheritance to the kingdom of heaven. We are, we are heirs of the kingdom of heaven just like Jesus is. And so we matter to God. Last week we talked about why do we matter? is we matter to a greater purpose. We matter to a greater purpose because Christ died for us. Through that death, we can become alive through Christ. How can we become alive? Because you and I are dead in our sins, in our transgressions. Our life, you know, when we sin and we have nowhere to put that sin because we can't carry it, because we can't, don't know what to do with it, because we can't just, you know, have eternal life and we can't uh, on our own, we, can't, we cannot earn that. There's, how, do you, how do you deal with that? How do you bottle that up? Because we have sin in our life, we are dead in our sin. And so uh, there's a lot of people walking around in this life like zombies. They're dead in their sin. They have nowhere to put that unless they believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. But Jesus saved us. Jesus saved us from death. Jesus saved us by his grace, and we are saved through our faith, and we are saved for a great purpose. We are saved for a great plan, to be part of what God wants to do in this world. That's what we're saved for. He wants to he wants to choose he, he wants to use you, and he has chosen you to do something greater, something bigger than yourself. He's chosen you for that. And it's all over Scripture. And so we matter to God and we matter to a greater purpose. We become alive in Christ. And then when we come alive in Christ, we allow God to come into our life and do a little bit of construction, do a little bit of demolition in our life, to break down some walls and to set a foundation of grace and and mercy in his word. And then God moves in with power and strength in our life. And we have the fullness of God. And we're walking in the fullness of God. Well, today, we're going to answer the question, do I matter? And we're going to answer it with, with, we matter to God's plan. We matter to God's plan. You know, we all like to make plans. Go on vacation. Make a plan. I remember the first time we went to Disney, had an Excel spreadsheet, three pages long, of what rides we're going to ride, when, where. Yes, I read the book. I know. I'm a Disney nerd. But, hey, we rode a lot of rides. Now, it was crazy. The second time we went to Disney, no Excel spreadsheet. We just kind of relaxed. It was good. It was all good. It's like, hey, we've been here. We've done that. We We have accomplished. But we make plans whether it be going vacation or retirement plans or job plans or, or growing a family. 
There's people in our church who are expecting and we're making plans, okay? And uh, we, we, we have plans to maybe get a, another house or you may have plans to get another, another car or maybe give a car away or, or whatever. And so we make plans in our life. In fact, um, in, uh, and this is not on the screen, but in Proverbs uh, 16, 9, it says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We may plan things, but the Lord is the one who establishes our steps. And so it's good to have plans, and it's good to make plans. I'm, I'm sort of a planner. I love the plan. And when things are go as planned, I kind of have to be like, oh, okay, well, all right, I guess we're going to have to do that. And just know that God is really the one who is in charge and not Frank Bennett. Frank Bennett is not in charge, and everybody said amen. All right, not too loud. All right. Um, so today, as we talk about, we matter to God's plan. You know, every day we ha- sort of have this, you know, uh, sort of a ritual, a, a, a plan of how we kind of get up and how we start our day. And I know kind of we have different plans during the summer and that sort of deal. But, you know, there are certain days and certain things that we do in our life that we get up and like, you know, I wasn't planning on doing that. All right, but I'll go with that. All right. Like if you get in the, in, in the fender bender, it's like you... You're not driving. It's like, I think I'm going to get in a fender bender, and you get in one. You don't plan that. It just kind of happens, all right? And so um, just this past Thursday, I was awoken by my wife, and she was standing over me with a gun early in the morning. Now, your wife wakes you up, and she's standing over you with a gun. Now, just picture that, all right? And she's smiling. And I'm trying to wake up here, and I'm trying to, like, okay, my wife's over here. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming this or not. And she um, says these words, I got him. And I'm like, okay, has she snapped? <laughs> One of the kids gone, you know? And then... and. And then she says these words, I need your help. So lots of things are going through my head, right? Lots of things are going in my head. And so I'm like, uh, baby, who did you shoot? She goes, I finally got that bunny. And I'm like, okay, okay, good. At least we know she has not snapped and she has, uh, has basically shot a bunny. So what happened is, Suzanne has this flower bed, all right? And uh, she has flowers all over her house. She, you know, they look great and everything. Well, there, there's this bunny, this little bunny, who is, has been living in our sort of our, our briar patch in, in front of our door. And our Labrador retriever has been looking for that bunny. And we would say, where's the bunny? And Charlie is trying to get it, and he just can't get it because this thing's huge. And it's got, you know, prickly things in there, and Charlie just can't get in there. Well, this bunny's been living in there, and um, during the night, this bunny would come and eat the flowers. And it has been driving Suzanne crazy because she's caught him before. He'd, she'd open the door in the morning, and, and he'd be out there, and he would scurry on under the briar patch. I mean, we're only talking just a few feet, and you can't get him after that. So... Thursday morning, she woke up early, walked out the door, and there was that rabbit. She was able to go to the garage, get a BB gun, 
go outside and sort of chase it around in the backyard, and uh, she aimed that BB gun and shot that rabbit two times. Boom. Don't mess with my wife. Yeah. (laughs) But the story doesn't stop there. She said, I need your help. I was like, okay. Well, um, obviously, I need to take care of the rabbit. She shoots it. I take care of it. So I go to the garage and get my shovel. I'm thinking I just need to scoop up this poor little rabbit, okay, and throw him in the woods somewhere, right? Well, so I, I get this shovel, and I walk back there, and here's the problem. That little bunny is not dead. That little bunny is just injured. In fact, it was really injured to the point to where if I just left it there, it would eventually die, and it would... Um, you know, it would just take a while. And so I needed to do something. I needed to take it out of its misery. So I get the shovel up and I look down at this bunny and he's looking up at me with those big black eyes and injured. And I'm like going, this is not something I had planned to do. I mean, I have not eaten breakfast. I've not brushed my teeth. I've not done anything. So I had to do what the man of the house had to do. And afterwards, I just felt dirty. I just like, okay, you know, I had to do uh, this thing. I just went to plan on it. This rabbit, all I do is eating flowers, you know. And so I just felt dirty. And so as I walked on back to porch, Suzanne is on the front porch reading her Bible. <laughs> and so, and so I walk by and I go, I really don't like you right now. And I walk in the house. But I had to go take a shower, you know. I, was, I just felt dirty and just, just shameful and, and everything, you know. But, but, you know, we don't have plan. We don't have certain plans. I mean, I did not go to bed Wednesday night thinking, I'm going to wake up before I do anything. I'm going to uh, knock a rabbit upside the head with a shovel and kill a little bunny. No, that was not in the plan. And, and we have uh, certain things we do that some things that happen, it's like, man, I just... That was not what we had planned. But anyway, this, this sort of made me feel dirty and shameful and everything. Well, we, we have a story that's in God's word where another man felt a little bit shameful, felt a little bit dirty, and it was the story of Saul. Now, you may have heard of Saul. Most of you probably have. Saul, who, who had an encounter with Jesus. Saul was a leader in the Jewish uh, uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so he was someone who was rising up in the ranks, and he did not like these Christians. These Christians who really, like that little bunny, weren't really doing much at all. I mean, they weren't really causing lots of havoc or anything, you know, and so Saul did not like these new believers. In fact, they didn't even know who to, what to call them. They called them people who followed the way, and so Saul would go to different cities, and he would persecute them. He would throw Christians into jail. Well, on his way to Damascus, he met Jesus. Now, Jesus, at this point, Jesus had already, uh, had already died, rose again, and um, was ascended uh, into heaven. And so he was in he- he's in heaven with his heavenly Father. And, but but uh, years later, Saul, on his way to Damascus, he had a vision and a bright light, and it blinded him for three days, and Saul met Jesus never met him before. He met him there, and it changed his life. And so he went, hung out, 
there in Damascus with some of the uh, other uh, disciples who followed Christ. And they ministered to him and they showed him about grace and mercy. And I can imagine him thinking just a few days later, a few weeks later, when he's standing in a circle, in a large circle, and he's holding some extra outer garments of some people who were throwing stones and a man named Stephen, a follower of Jesus Christ, who his job in the church was to take care of the widows and the poor and to organize the food, and he was preaching the gospel. People didn't like that, so they, so they stoned him to death. Saul was standing there in agreement. And so I would imagine when he met Jesus, and Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this, Saul? And he understood face to face who Jesus was and what he was doing. And I'm sure he felt the shame and the dirtiness of his life. And going back to what Stephen had to go through. So he felt this, this shame. But as we're going to see here in just a moment, Paul, Saul, which later became Paul, Paul's past did not discredit him for what God wants to do for his life. Paul's past did not discredit him to follow God's plan and to be a part of God's plan. And the same can be said for you. Your past does not discredit you for God's plan. You, want to, you could write this down, you could tweet this, but God's plan for you is bigger than your past. God's plan is bigger than your past. God's plan is bigger than your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. And, and Saul, who was persecuting Christians, and approving of stoning Christ followers. If God can use someone like that for a greater plan, then surely he can use you. And he can use me as well. So you matter to God's plan. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to turn there, the book of Ephesians chapter 3, it's in the... Uh, New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all those great, net, uh, great uh, letters of uh, Paul. So Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, and this is really a, a letter. So if, if you could, if there's about six chapters in this book. And if you could just read this as, as getting rid of the verses uh, getting rid of the chapters, just read it as a letter. It will really make sense. And that's what I love about, uh, I know we don't do it um, as often as we probably uh, should, but going through a book verse by verse by verse will kind of put everything together and connect everything. I encourage you to read God's Word like that. You can read the book of Ephesians in one sitting. You can read this letter in one sitting, and I encourage you to do that. But in Ephesians Chapter 3, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, okay, we're going to stop right there. For this reason, I, Paul, 
So Paul, we see that Paul is not allowing his past to get in the way of God's plan. He, he did not say anything like, I, Paul, by the way, I, I'm really sorry for all the persecution that I've done to Christians. I apologize for, for me approving and even aiding in the stoning of a follower of Christ, a man named Stephen. He didn't talk about his past. He was talking about from now on. I, Paul, for this reason, and going on to verse six, uh, one through six, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about this administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already briefly written. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, and it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is, and here's the, here's the deal, here's the mystery, here's the message, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, this, this, is, this is huge. This is huge. Because God, to show who he is, he had to choose a, a family. He had to choose a family that would grow into a nation who a family would, they would follow God, they would move away from God. They would follow God, they would move away from God. And God had to show who he is to one group of family, a group of people, a nation. And so he showed himself through prophets, through leaders like Moses. He spoke to others and through signs and, and miracles through their life and showed us as, as a human race what God was like because no one knew. No one knew wh who this creator was. I mean, how are we able to, uh, uh, to see God and be with God? Adam and Eve was able to, but as soon as they disobeyed and as soon as sin entered their life, God was not able to commune with them. And so God had to show who he was. He was a loving God, a powerful God. So he chose Abraham, and that family grew and grew into a great and mighty nation. And through that, and through the writings of, of, of the Old Testament, God has shown us who he is. And so... God used the Jewish people to show his mercy, his grace, his power, our, 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 how we handle sin, what do we do with sin. And so now because Jesus came, God is saying, okay, not only are the Jews sort of my chosen people and they can sacrifice burnt offerings and forgiveness of their sin. But now we're going to move this into all of humanity. It's not just the Jews. It's the Gentiles, which is everybody else besides the Jews. And so Paul 
is the one who is telling this to the Gentiles. Paul is the one who's going to be the messenger to say, okay, Jews, God's chosen people, check. We understand that. We get that. They have a temple in Jerusalem. They have the Old Testament. They have the prophets. Yes, but what about everybody else? Jesus came to die for you as well. Not just for the Jews. He came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. So God had this huge plan to share that the saving grace and the saving faith through Jesus Christ is for everybody else and not just for the Jews. That is huge because let me tell you something. If that was not part of God's plan, we're, we're done for. If Jesus didn't come and die for everybody, and Jesus didn't make that clear, then we're done for. What do we do with our sin? So Paul had a huge task, and God chose him for a huge task. God chose him to share that message, even though, even though, he had a past. Even though he had a past. Let me tell you something. God has chosen something for you as well. Now, let's be honest. Paul could have said, all right, Jesus, I, I, I see the vision. I, I understand. But you... I'm not the man. I, I, I can't do this. I, 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 I've been persecuting Christians. I've been approving the stoning of people. I can't do this. I am not the man. There are other people more qualified than me. That was not God's plan. And Paul could have said, I'm not going to accept this. God has a plan for you to fit into his great and mighty plan for all of humanity. And you have a role in that plan. Now, here's a question for you. Are you allowing your past to keep you from God's plan? Are you allowing your past to keep you from God's plan? So God, I... I don't know how you can use me. I, I'm a believer. Some of you may be saying, you know, I, I've, uh, I've cheated here and there. I've cheated at work. I've cheated on my spouse. I don't treat people nicely. I don't, you know, I've, I've done these things. God is saying you can still be used. Now, you need to confess those things, and you need to repent and turn your life away from those things. But if those things are in the past, know that God's plan is in, not the future, but the present. The present. Some of you are thinking, well, I'll get to God's plan when I fix myself. Can I tell you something? That's not going to happen. You are not going to fix yourself. The person that can fix you is Jesus Christ. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ and him doing demolition work in your heart and setting that foundation of faith, you getting into the word, having the fullness of God in your life, that 
is the only way you can be fixed. You're not going to do anything. You can try, but you're not going to do anything. So stop holding off your, your purpose, what you're supposed to be doing to God's plan for you, for the future. It's right here, right now. God has placed you in the neighborhood, a workplace, around friends, on a sports team. God has placed you in certain situations where, look, I need you to do this. I need you to build these relationships with these people that are around you because these people are going through some stuff and they can't handle it on their own. They're self-destructing and you have the answer. I need you to be Jesus with skin on. That's what I need you to do. That, I know, is everybody's plan as part of God's bigger plan. And so, when you think of Saul, don't think that Saul was this great guy. (laughs) He was not. He was an awful person. God changed them around. God used them. And as we just said, saw this, Saul and Paul, he did not allow his past to disrupt God's plan. So what do we do with our assignment? So if we're part of a God's plan, how do we, how do we get our assignment? What are we supposed to do with our assignment? What are we, how are we supposed to get to the next step, and how are we supposed to know well, can I tell you something? Just like you trying to fix yourself, there's really nothing that you are supposed to do in your own abilities to, uh, for your next assignment. And we're going to sh- see this in Scripture. We're going to see this in Scripture in uh, verses 7 through 12. Verse 7 through 12, it says this, I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. So we already see there that, that this is a gift. So this assignment of being a servant for the gospel, of being, uh, sharing the gospel to the Gentiles, huge, huge assignment. This, this assignment of doing this was a gift. Paul didn't do anything to, to earn this. So your assignment is not something that you earn. That needs to sink into some of you. Your assignment by God as part of God's bigger plan is not something that you earn by doing good things, by being a good person. God is going to use you. God wants to use you. All you have to do is be willing and ready, and God will make you able because he says, given me through the working of his power. I, Paul didn't say my power. It's not your power. It's not my power. It's God's power. Verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. So he's saying, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of this. Okay? If you don't feel worthy to have an assignment by God, good. Great. That's awesome, because guess what? You have, a, you have something in common with the dude that wrote most of the New Testament. <laughs> you have something in common with Paul. 
Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which we heard earlier, the mystery that the gospel is for the Gentiles, not just for the Jews, of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, look at the people on your right and your left, look at the people on the right, that's the church, that's you, that's me, okay? The church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. So he's saying, look, as the church, we have to, we have to accomplish what Christ Jesus has set forth within us to do. In... Um, In verse 10, his intent was that now, through the church, us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So, through the church, we have to make it known to all of creation, this great mystery that salvation is for everyone. Now, I I try to put things into, into sort of how we can use this in the now. I mean, I shared last week, we don't really talk too much about Jews and Gentiles and Monday through, Monday through Saturday. But let's think of it like this. Think of it like the Jews as, as church people, Gentiles as unchurched people. Think of it like this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for you. Faith Saving grace is not just for the people sitting in this room. It's not just for the people sitting in churches throughout this world. It's not just for people who have accepted Christ as Savior. It's for those who are living a life of themselves. And they're living a life of sin. Yes, that salvation is for them. Now, they need to come to an understanding that Christ died for them and that They should confess their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for them, rose again, lives eternally in heaven, and can give them power to live their life in freedom. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of that. So our assignment is that we as a church share that. And how are we we going to get this assignment? What are, we going to, what are we going to pray? Let me share with you this, this prayer that's found in verse 14 through 21. This is a very popular passage of, of Scripture. Verse 14, For this reason I, Paul, kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every, everybody on earth. He he is our Father. He is our Heavenly Father, our Creator. We come from Him. 
I pray, I, Paul, pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted, think of a tree, a tall tree in your yard. Think about the root system. Being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Not just your power on your own, together, everyone. It's a multiplication, okay? Multiplication power. Together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses far beyond knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Can I tell you something? That prayer is a prayer. At the end of that chapter, you need to be praying for yourself. And more importantly, you need to be praying for others. That prayer is the prayer you need to be praying over your spouse. You need to be praying over your children. You need to be praying over your coworkers, over your friends who need Christ, who are suffering. Rather than praying that your, your friend's cat gets better or that your neighbor's neighbor stops you know, arguing or fighting in the household so you'd have peace or for other things or even more serious things, rather than just praying that people in your life aren't addicted to things where the things they look at are substance abuse. Pray that prayer that they would have the fullness of God in their life. And I pray that you put that person's name there, that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, put that person there, that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that they, put the person's name there, would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. If you and I walked in the fullness of God, some of these issues we're facing, there would not be room for those things in our life. If you have children who, who are fighting things, addictions in their life, pray that God would have the fullness of God in their life to where there's no room for junk in their life. If you and your spouse are constantly bickering one another, Pray that 
your marriage, your, your spouse would be filled to the fullness of God. And they would understand and come to the realization of God's amazing love. Because he wants to do amazing, immeasurably more than what we can ever think in our life. He wants to do amazing things in your marriage. He wants to do amazing things through your kids. He wants to do amazing things than you can ever imagine. According to his power that is what? In us. Stop denying the power of God. If you have accepted Christ as Savior, you have the power, Scripture says it, you have the power of the resurrection inside you. Stop walking defeated in your life. Accept Christ as Savior and claim that you are, have an inheritance. You have the keys of heaven. You can walk right into the, through the gates of heaven, right up to the throne room with confidence because you are sealed. We talked about that last week. We are sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sealed. So stop walking defeated lives. Accept Christ. Accept that power. And say, you know what? I have that power within me. So I'm going to depend upon that. I'm going to get into this word. To have the fullness of God. Because when we have the fullness of God, you're going to do your part in His plan. You matter to God's plan. When you have the fullness of God in your life, there's no room for other junk. When you have the fullness of God in your life, you want to hear and read what he says to you in his word. When you have the fullness of God in your life, you desire to have conversations with him. I have the fullness. I have the fullness of, of my wife in my heart. When I have that fullness of, of my wife, her love for me in my heart and for one another, I long to be with her. Same with Christ Jesus.